Chapter thirty six of the Ordeal of Elizabeth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter thirty six of the Ordeal of Elizabeth by Anonymous. Chapter thirty six there was still cross-examination mr fenton too began with unimportant questions he gave miss cornelia who looked ready to faint time to recover herself a little the questions he asked were easy to answer had her niece in the course of her education given them much trouble had she ever deceived them kept anything from them before this fatal secret ah no no miss cornelia gave her answers tremulously yet with a fervent relief an eager desire to make herself heard throughout the courtroom then with your knowledge of your niece's character mr fenton asked speaking almost carelessly you didn't think of her as the sort of person likely to commit a crime miss cornelia drew herself up with sudden dignity and her voice was plainly audible and without a tremor most certainly not she said then how inquired mr fenton calmly did you account for her extraordinary assertion that she had committed this murder miss cornelia hardly hesitated i thought she was out of her mind she said i couldn't account for it in any other way it never occurred to you for a moment that it was true not for a moment the words came out indignantly you naturally did not suppose that were she really guilty she would proclaim it quite so readily as that miss cornelia stared i never she said simply thought of such a thing as her being guilty but you asked her did you not for some explanation of her words i asked her faltered miss cornelia what she meant by saying such a dreadful thing and she said she said yes said mr fenton encouragingly take your time and tell us the exact truth what did she say she seemed to be rather dazed she said that she had wished so much for it to happen that when it did it seemed almost like an answer to her wishes as if she were accountable for it and you accepted her explanation said mr fenton it seemed to you plausible i knew what she meant yes but i could see that she was overwrought and excited or she wouldn't have thought of it did she seem distressed over halleck's death miss cornelia hesitated mm, not at first she said she couldn't seem to realize it and afterwards yes she seemed distressed then i thought said miss cornelia firmly that she felt very badly indeed when she realized it and there was nothing in her manner that could induce you to believe that she expected it or knew a thing about it beyond what she read in the papers nothing with this word firmly pronounced miss cornelia's ordeal came to an end she descended white and dazed elizabeth leaned over as she returned to her place and pressed her hand with a faint little smile it's all right auntie i'm glad you spoke the truth 
and so the episode passed she really has done no more harm than we expected bobby van antwerp observed to his wife it is one of those things which sound much worse than they really are after all what does it amount to the hysterical assertion of an excited girl a guilty woman is more careful what she says i will tell elizabeth said his wife in relief what you say but though she found an opportunity after the day's session to whisper this encouragement into the girl's ear elizabeth listened vacantly and did not seem fully to grasp it the maid's evidence her aunt's corroboration had brought up vividly to her mind the danger that existed all the time behind these slow technical deliberations that night the horrible waking dream from which for a while she had been set free returned more startlingly real than ever and the face of the judge who sentenced her was the same face in which during the long days in the courtroom she had thought she detected some involuntary gleams of sympathy it had seemed a kind face in the daytime but in her dream it was inexorably stern the next morning at the trial her mind did not wander she kept it resolutely fixed on the evidence mr d'hauteville was on the stand and she wondered what more fatal revelations and she wondered what more fatal revelations were to be made of her words and actions on that unfortunate morning when she hardly knew what she said or did but no new developments were brought out there was no trace in mr d'hauteville's evidence or his easy unembarrassed manner of the suspicions which he had been perhaps the first in town to entertain yes he had seen miss van vorst on the morning after the murder and had himself taken her into the studio was there anything peculiar in her manner certainly she seemed much distressed as was natural he thought under the circumstances had she tried to possess herself of the fatal flask or of any other incriminating objects as for instance her own letters no most emphatically no was it true as the elevator man had already stated that she had defended herself against his accusations he could not remember anything of the kind certainly he had not accused her as he had no reason to suspect her mr fenton on cross-examination drew from him a description of her tears of the fearless way in which she had entered her apparent indifference to being observed was it mr fenton demanded the manner of a guilty woman the witness fully agreed that it was not and then he left the stand saying to himself philosophically that all was fair in the cause of a beautiful and unfortunate girl whom he had admired extremely and with whom his friend gerard had been and might still be desperately in love the next witness was the brooklyn tradesman whose evidence had been already so much exploited by the yellow journals that it lacked the force of novelty he deposed to having sold the flask on the morning of the twenty-third of december to a woman in black thickly veiled slight and tall and with reddish hair the witness was quite sure about the date and as to the time he was less explicit but convinced that it was somewhere between the hours of ten and twelve he was a middle-aged man with a plain honest face 
and evidently anxious to tell what he knew and no more when the district attorney in a dramatic manner desired him to look at the defendant and declare if she were the woman to whom he sold the flask he seemed to shrink in distress from the terrible responsibility thus placed upon him i it is so long ago he protested and you must remember that she wore a veil which entirely obscured her face no not entirely the witness reluctantly admitted look at the defendant the district attorney insisted and tell the court if her general appearance recalls that of the woman to whom you sold the flask he turned to elizabeth and requested her to rise she grew a shade paler and stared at him for a moment as if startled then slowly she obeyed him and stood facing the witness who brought reluctantly his anxious gaze to bear upon her she was ashy white but she held her head erect her eyes met his without flinching thus they stood for fully a minute and the silence in the courtroom was tense with nervous excitement then the witness spoke i there is a certain resemblance he said then you identify her said the district attorney the witness was silent he looked again at elizabeth she was trembling now and caught hold of a chair as if for support the witness cleared his throat he was thinking that he had a daughter of about elizabeth's age i i really could not tell he began take your time said the district attorney impressively this is a very important point and then there was again a long silence in the midst of it the sun bursting through a gray mass of clouds touched elizabeth's hair with a wave of light it stood out a shining halo against the rim of her black hat the witness stared at it as if fascinated then he uttered a sound it might almost have been a sob of relief that is not the same woman he said the hair is quite different the other woman's hair was much deeper red it didn't shine and glisten and her whole air the way she held herself was different i am sure it is not the same and this opinion once announced he clung to tenaciously nothing the district attorney said could shake it mr fenton would not even cross-examine and there was great rejoicing in the ranks of the defence but the next day the prosecution placed upon the stand a druggist's clerk who remembered having sold a bottle of arsenic to a woman dressed in black on the morning of the twenty-third of december the occurrence was impressed on his mind because he had demurred as to selling poison and she had presented a physician's certificate she was handsomely dressed and seemed like a lady he had noticed particularly that her hair was reddish and when asked to identify elizabeth he swore unhesitatingly that she was the same woman upon mr fenton's cross-examination it became evident what important questions may hang on the color of a woman's hair mr fenton you said did you not that the woman's hair was red witness cautiously i said reddish that's not quite the same thing mr fenton explain the difference witness confused well i i don't know 
I meant to say it was sort of sort of light You mean to say in other words that it was not black witness recovering himself and speaking stubbornly No, I meant to say that it was reddish sort of sandy ah Like the district attorney's moustache for instance There was laughter in the courtroom the district attorney's moustache was a brilliant carrot color which at the opposing counsel's words was emulated by his face i object to these personalities he said mr fenton was instructed by the judge to be more serious but held to his point your honor it is necessary to find out what the witness means by the vague word reddish if he thinks it applies to the district attorney's moustache but i don't objected the aggrieved witness to the renewed amusement of the courtroom i call that carroty then point out among people present what hair you consider reddish the witness's eyes wandered till they alighted upon the distinctly sandy locks of one of the experts for the prosecution i call that hair reddish he announced with some satisfaction at finding a way out of his dilemma ah now oblige me by looking at the defendant's hair and tell us if you think it is like that of this gentleman the witness glanced helplessly at elizabeth it isn't much like it he admitted and yet you describe both as reddish the witness was desperate well i i don't exactly know he said what you mean by reddish said mr fenton well no said the witness i see that you don't it's not necessary for you to tell us that you are color-blind evidently and by reddish you simply mean anything between black and tow color but you can't swear away a woman's life with such vague descriptions as this you can go now i have no more questions to ask the crestfallen witness gladly retreated but in spite of his discomfiture his evidence had been a serious blow to the defense and when a few days later the prosecution closed its case it was admitted on every side to be a strong one the defense opened quietly enough mr fenton too brought out his handwriting experts who were prepared with an equally startling array of technical details to swear to the exact opposite of what had been solemnly declared by the experts of the prosecution the court settled down into a dreamy mood and the spectators for the most part went to sleep there was a break in the monotony and one which created much excitement when elizabeth took the sand on her own behalf she had been very anxious to do this and mr fenton had reluctantly consented with many misgivings and elaborate instructions to which he saw to his alarm that she listened most vacantly But when she began to testify his doubts disappeared She gave her evidence very simply and directly and there was something in the soft low tones of her voice an Indefinable ring of girlishness of youth and inexperience which carried with it an illogical thrill of conviction She had never she said bought the flask which contained the poison nor had she ever seen one exactly like it she had not gone to brooklyn on the twenty-third of december she had never gone there in her life she had spent the morning of the twenty-third of december at the metropolitan museum she had not bought 
the bottle of arsenic and knew nothing of it she had no reason to expect paul halleck's death she had read of it in the papers no she had not meant the assertion literally when she said that she had killed him she had been startled because his death had seemed to come in direct answer to her wishes and she had somehow felt accountable for it yes it was a morbid idea she realized it now but she had not been at all well at the time that was the reason she had gone up to the studio she had been in a state of nervous excitement and hardly knew what she did no she had not thought of the police suspecting her in consequence such an idea had never entered her mind on the whole mr fenton was satisfied with the effect that she was producing he had made the agreeable discovery that he was beginning to believe in her himself and if this conviction was impressing itself more and more upon his own suspicious mind it must he thought be all-powerful with the jury whom he had already mentally appraised as kindly men anxious to escape from an unpleasant duty and willing to give the prisoner the full benefit of every doubt but when mr fenton at last sat down and the district attorney took his place then indeed began a very bad quarter of an hour for elizabeth question by question the lawyer drew out of her her reasons for keeping her marriage secret and for wishing halleck dead her engagement to gerard and the manner in which she had deceived him her color changed from white to red and back again to a ghastly pallor her voice faltered and broke piteously but still the terrible inquiry proceeded behind her her aunts were biting their lips in agony and mrs bobby was beside herself with indignation i'd give anything in the world she said to her husband to get even with that man elizabeth's counsel was keeping up a running fire of objections but in vain the district attorney got in his questions somehow or other and elizabeth answered them as best she could why she was asked among other things was your engagement to mr gerard broken off because she faltered i i told him of my marriage why did you suddenly tell him when you had kept it concealed so long elizabeth looked up with a piteous appeal in her eyes which was answered by an objection on the part of her counsel and she was told by the judge that she need answer no question unless she wished but by this time she had recovered herself i am quite willing to answer she said i told him because i was sorry i had deceived him i had no other reason you are quite sure that you did tell him and that he did not find out for himself there was an insulting tone to the question but she answered it steadily without anger i am quite sure she said who was with you on the day that you say you went to the metropolitan museum this was the next question put with disconcerting suddenness she turned still whiter if that were possible than before and her answer was barely audible mr gerard was anyone else with you no one is he the only person who can corroborate your statement yes then it is a pity he is not here she was silent mr gerard observed mr fenton when he went abroad left no address 
we made efforts to communicate with him but so far we have not succeeded it is most unfortunate most unfortunate certainly echoed the district attorney for the defendant but perhaps he was not anxious to be summoned we have heard of witnesses who went to the ends of the earth to avoid it he turned to elizabeth do you know of any reason he asked why he should not wish to come elizabeth's hands were clasped together nervously i i cannot tell did you send for him as soon as you knew that his testimony was needed i did not why did you not said the district attorney in his sneering voice the color flushed into her face because i because i her voice faltered and broke i did not wish him sent for she said with a sudden flash of defiance then she turned deathly white and put up her handkerchief to her lips i will not answer any more questions she added faintly after all it had been very bad worse far worse than she had expected she felt as she left the stand that she had done her cause only harm it seemed to her moreover that whether she were acquitted or found guilty she would never after the abasement of that cross-examination hold up her head again the outlook was gloomy and the case for the defence was almost closed but when mrs bobby arrived in court the next morning she was greeted by mr fenton with a broad smile we must put the handwriting experts on again he said cheerfully it will be dull but anything to gain time i have had a cable from mr gerard he will be here in a few days end of chapter 36